You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. All of the month of August, we were in a, a message series called Table Talk, and we said the best conversations happen around a, a table, and John walked us through um, much of Second Timothy, and it seemed to me that the Lord was saying a good way to uh, transition from that series to the next series that we'll be in called Life Together is to actually look at the last chapter of Second Timothy, the last thing Paul wrote, last chapter, last words. So if you have a Bible while we're waiting here, go ahead and go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes about something that I find myself thinking a lot about uh, these days, and I think the best way to introduce it, because he uses athletic imagery so often, is um, to tell a story. In In the 2002 Winter Olympics, in the thousand meter small track speed skate, normally run by, run by, run by countries like uh, Canada and Norway with lots of snow. They're doing the final lap of the race. Stephen Bradbury, who is from Australia and has entered in this Winter Olympic event, is way in the back. He's the last one there. And in that last lap, something really unusual happened that became one of the greatest moments in sports Olympic history. So uh, watch this video for just a moment. Two laps to go. Bradbury way off the pace and Lee is now the challenger for Ono. Lee coming up on the outside. One down. And Lee has gone down. Two down. Now Ono and Sue have Three down. They're all Four down. down. And Bradbury, who is in the perfect spot, skates over the line. You beauty. Australia's first ever Winter Olympics gold medal, Stephen Bradbury is the champion. So the Chinese knocked the American down, and then the Korean guy fell, and the Canadian guy fell, and the guy way in the back, Stephen Bradbury from Australia, skates across the finish line and yells, gold, (laughs) and wins the gold medal First time in history for Australia to win anything in the Winter Olympics wins it just because he finishes. Because he doesn't get knocked down, doesn't fall. He just finishes. And so many of us want to quit. We want to check out. We give up on our marriages. We give up on our jobs. Give up on our families, on our commitments. When Ruthie and I were in Japan uh, several months ago, I preached at a church and afterwards the pastor's wife, young woman, came up to us and she said, would you pray for me? I don't think I can go on another year like this, much less another 20. So we gathered around her and prayed for her and talked to her about what it takes to finish, to finish well. And basically what we said is this, Jesus is adequate today, right? Yeah, I can get through today with Jesus. You don't have to worry about getting through tomorrow. Get through today with Jesus, and then tomorrow he's going to be there for you like he was today, and next week, and then the next month, and then the next year. And what I've been praying all week long is that God would stir up in all of us just a resolute determination that by his strength, 
we're going to finish well. We'll finish strong. This is what Paul writes about in his last letter, the last chapter of the letter. Look at verse 6. He says, for I'm already being... Now, let me just set the scene. He is in a hole in the ground, the Mamertine prison in Rome. Um, there's a trap door at the top, and he doesn't know when they're going to open the door, let down a, a, a rope ladder, and he will be brought up and taken to an executioner's block, and his head will be chopped off. He doesn't know when that's going to happen, but he knows it's going to happen very quickly. So he's thinking about that, and he says... I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So he sees his coming death as worship. I'm going I'm to actually worship and glorify God by the way that I die. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. That's what everyone in this room hopes can be said of you at your funeral. He fought a good fight. She finished the race. He kept the faith. So he looks back on his life and said, he says, that's what I've, it's by God's grace, been able to do that. And then he looks toward the future and he says, verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. And the word crown there is that Greek word Stephanos. We get our, our name Stephen from that. And it refers to a wreath that would be given to an athlete at, at the uh, Isthmian Games or these great athletic events, Greece, Rome. They would put an ivy, an ivy or laurel around his, his head. It's the victor's crown. And he says, I'm looking forward to that. And not only me. Anyone who loves the appearing of Jesus, his first appearing, his second appearing, can get that. So he's, it's almost like he's saying, set your sights on that. The moment you stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So he's looked at the past, he's looked at the future, but the present is a different matter altogether. And from verses 9 through 22 Paul talks about the present, and here's what he says. Let me give you the big idea of the sermon right now. He says, serving Jesus, living for Jesus, is really hard, but he will stand beside you. It's hard to raise a Christian family in our culture. Sometimes it's hard to act like a Christian at school or at work. Sometimes it's hard to be faithful to your marriage vows children who are here, and this is a family-type service, sometimes it's really hard to obey your parents. It's hard to do the right thing. It's hard to stay positive when everything around you is just kind of going crazy. It's hard to pray when you don't get answers. It's hard to be generous, a generous giver when, when money is tight. It's hard to forgive when friends betray a confidence or they let you down or, or they hurt you or abandon you. Serving Jesus is hard. But here's the promise. He himself will stand beside you. And what Paul does in these verses is he tells us four reasons why he's finding it hard right in the last days of his life to continue to serve Jesus and, and, uh, and, and trust him. And the same four things are true of us. Let me just list them for you, kind of walk through this. Number one is loneliness. Loneliness. Look at verse 9. He says, 
do your best to come to me soon. Now, why is he saying that? Anyone who has ever flown halfway across the country to be at the bedside of a dying relative understands this. Paul doesn't want to die alone. Nobody does. And so he says to Timothy, this young friend of his, kind of a son in the faith, he says, Timothy, drop everything you can. Please come and be with me now. Because serving Jesus has led him away from his extended family, led him away from friends, and he is feeling distant from people he loves. And many of his friends, for some reason, one variety or another, have left him. Verse 10, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. So he says, my friends are not here. Some of them on ministry assignments, perhaps. I've asked them to go take care of this or that. But then he talks about the one that just breaks his heart. Part of the inner circle, one of his closest friends, a man by the name of Demas. And he says, having loved this present world, this literally this present age, he has deserted me. Paul had just talked about the future. I'm going to stand before Christ uh, and he'll, he'll award me a wreath. And Demas has walked away from that because he loves this present world. And this is very confusing to a lot of people because doesn't the Bible say God loved the world? He sure does. In fact, to the point he sacrificed his own son to save people in the world. And the Bible teaches that you and I Christians are to love people in this world. But there is a love of the world that is incompatible with deep love for Jesus. There is a love for this present world that will actually turn your heart away from the Lord himself. And there's this popular idea in church that if you are to be relevant and you're to reach people in the world, then you have to embrace the culture, even a God-demeaning, Jesus-distorting, God-denying culture. If your heart is in love with the world, one of two things will happen. You will either change your life so that you can be compatible with the world, the ungodly world, the the world system that is so anti-God. You will either change your life to be compatible with the world or you will change your gospel so it fits the world. You'll either remain silent as a Christian where you are, school, work, wherever, home, neighborhood, or you will walk away from Jesus because you are in love with this present world. And I think... More people leave the church, leave Christ, leave serving Him, leave the hope of heaven out of love for the world than just about anything else. And he says he went to Thessalonica. What's in Thessalonica? We don't know. Maybe it's a woman that he met somewhere along the way. Uh, Maybe it's his home and he just wants to to go home. Maybe he's just tired of traveling. Um, Maybe he... uh, um, He's had a business offer. Someone said, you know, you're really good at, at doing what you're doing. You can make a lot of money. Why are you wasting your time uh, in ministry? Maybe he's just tired of suffering. Maybe he wants to get away from Paul because anybody who's hanging around Paul it's, ends up getting hurt, ends up suffering for the sake of the gospel. Maybe he wants to get away from Paul because Paul makes him feel guilty. Because Paul just walks so closely to the Lord and he realizes that he does not. Maybe he's just tired of looking around and feeling deprived of what he could have if he just left what he was doing in, in serving Christ. So he leaves Paul, and he leaves Jesus, perhaps, 
because he's just in love with this present world. William Barclay, a Bible commentator, wrote this. The years have a way of taking our ideals away, of making us satisfied with less and less, of lowering our standards. There is no threat so dangerous and so insidious as the threat of years to a man's ideals. We all love comfort. It's a real temptation to just fall in love with this present age. Happens to people all around us. Will happen to you. Or people will leave you because they love this present world. He says in verse 11, Luke alone is with me. And I'm not sure how to take that. Maybe it's a slam on Luke. Luke, all people, he has to be with me. You know, come quickly. I've got, only got Luke here. Or maybe it's like Louis Lemur would say, Luke is a guy you can ride the river with. Luke is a tough friend for tough times. Maybe it's, but he said, it's just the two of us now. It's me and Luke. And then he says, get Mark and bring him, uh, bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. And anybody familiar at all with the story of the New Testament wants to say, Paul, have you changed your mind? Mark was the young guy that dropped out, bailed out on a missionary uh, trip. And that's what happened. We don't know why he did that. Halfway through a missionary, the first missionary trip, Mark is with Paul and he leaves and goes back home. We don't know if he had a girlfriend back there or just wanted to see mama or, or, or what, but he leaves and goes. And so the next missionary trip comes up and Paul's at the dock and they're waiting for the ship. And here comes Mark and Paul says, what are you doing here? And Mark says, I'm going with you. And Paul says, think again, you're not going with me. And Barnabas, who is Mark's cousin says, well, you're too hard on the kid. Give him another chance. And Paul says, it's too important and things are too critical to waste our time with someone who's going to bail out on us halfway through. And the two men, Paul and Barnabas, have such a disagreement that they actually split into two groups. But now, Paul, toward the end of his life, realizing that some of the things that he thought were so important maybe weren't all that important. And he says, Mark may have failed one time, but he's a good man and I can use him. And I think some of us should really take comfort because here's a guy who fell like the, like the skaters. He fell, but Mark, the missionary dropout, became St. Mark, the writer of the action gospel, the gospel of Mark. And tradition tells us he was martyred for his faith. That ought to be a real comfort to some of us. Because we fall once, because we fall twice in the past, it does not mean we're not usable to, to Christ now. That his grace enables us to get up and continue to, and we finish well. But Paul is lonely. I heard Chuck Swindoll say one time, talk about things that he wished that he had learned in seminary. He said, one is sometimes it's lonely in leadership. You take stands, you cannot explain, explain yourself, you can't sort it out for everybody, and some of you know what I'm talking about. So if you're in leadership somewhere and you're lonely, God bless you. And if you have in the past supported someone in leadership, like the way I get supported here in this church, don't stop. Don't stop. Paul says, one of the things that makes it hard for me now to serve the Lord is it's, it's just lonely. And then he mentions a second thing, and that is discomfort. Look at verse 12. It says, Tychicus, and that's a name you won't hear at a baby dedication anytime soon. Uh, Tychicus I sent to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, 
uh, the parchments. What's the deal with a cloak or a coat? I mean, here is the most influential, authoritative, godly Christian on the planet, and what he wants is a coat. Why? Well, you say, well, it's because the, he's down that hole, and it's cold down there, and it's, it's damp. There are coats in Rome. Where is that? He's got friends who could, buy, who could get, bring a coat to him. He's got money to buy a coat, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. Paul handled a lot of money during his life, and he dispersed it all. He's like the businessman that I know in this area who is very gifted in making a lot of money, and he set a limit for their lifestyle and said, I'm only going to rise to this point, everything else I'm giving away. And then he made this statement to me. He said, I want the last thing I do before I close my eyes and see Jesus to write my very last check and empty my bank account for the sake of the gospel. So Paul's handled a lot of money, but he doesn't have any now. And he says, would you please bring a coat? And this is like what John Wesley said one time, the founder of Methodism. Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And when John Wesley died, he had one possession, a silver spoon. That was it. Now, if you feel any sense of justice, when you read this about Paul, it just ticks you off because he doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve to be sitting in that prison. He doesn't deserve to be cold, lonely. He ought to be somewhere in some the Ritz-Carlton of that day. I mean, that's where he should be. But the reality is, and Paul understands it, there are some discomforts that come from serving Christ. This is not our final home. We shouldn't expect all of our rewards in this life. He mentions a third thing, and that is opposition or conflict. Look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deed. I once heard a pastor say, this is every pastor's life verse. Just change the name. Did me great harm. Who's going to pay him for what he? Who's going to pay him back for what he did? The Lord will repay him. Do you ever pray that for someone? It's really comforting to read that God considers considers it a righteous thing to pay back with tribulation. Says First Second Thessalonians one. Anybody who is troubling you. This is my definition of forgiveness. Someone has hurt you, and you turn that person over to the Lord. You let God deal with them. You turn it loose. And if I've learned anything in my life, it's that I can expect opposition. I can expect conflict. I can expect harsh criticism if if you serve Jesus. But let him handle it. Leave it with him. God is so able to defend those who refuse to take up their own cause in personal conflicts. And how often we forfeit the grace It could be ours because we hang on to some offense. He says the Lord will repay him. Does that mean if you forgive someone, you immediately trust them? Not at all. Look at the next verse, 15. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. So Paul just says, I'm dealing with loneliness here. I'm dealing with discomfort. And I got this guy who is making it the business of his life to tear me down. He may have been the one who turned Paul over to be arrested. And Paul just says, the Lord will take care of him. But he says, be on guard. Be careful. Can't be trusted. 
And the fourth thing he mentions makes it hard, and that's rejection. Look at verse 16. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Now, Roman law permitted him, when he went to trial, to have an advocate, uh, have witnesses. Um, Is there someone here who will stand and speak on behalf of the so-called Apostle Paul, his behavior or his character? Who will stand to speak for Paul? Crickets. No one, not a single Christian in Rome would speak for Paul. They've all deserted him. You say, where was Luke? I I don't know. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he was on some kind of a, a trip. But Paul didn't deserve this. He was not a perfect person, but he didn't deserve this. And I still appreciate Paul's honesty. He doesn't hide anything. He just says, if you're going to walk with Jesus, sometimes you may be lonely. Sometimes you may experience discomfort. Sometimes you're going to be, get into conflict that you yourself did not cause. And you may just feel rejected. And sometimes it just wears on you, doesn't it? All you want to do is get out from under the pressure. Move on to a new church. Move on to a new job. Move on to a new marriage, whatever. Or you emotionally, emotionally disengage and you fall like those ice skaters. Listen to James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the Stephanos, the crown, the laurel victor's wreath of life, which God promised to those who love him. You just finish and the wreath is yours. I take this to mean, this verse, every good thing God wants to do in our life comes through the funnel of perseverance. We just won't quit. So what does it take to finish well? Well, let's look at several things Paul said that helped him. Number one, refuse to live in unforgiveness. Verse 16, he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand beside me. He is abandoned by the people closest to him in the worst moment of his life. Nobody, they either could not or they would not support him. He's all alone. And he says, may it not be held against them. What's interesting is down in verse 21, Paul greets Timothy on behalf of all the people who are there with him. He says, uh, he says, um, do your, uh, verse 21, do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all their brothers. In other words, these are the very people who didn't show up for him, but he is still friends with them. You can still be friends with people who hurt you if you forgive them. And Paul says, all of these people who stood with me, I'm greeting you on behalf of, of them. We're still friends. Friends who let you down can still be your friends, but it depends on you. May it not be held against them. This last week I look back over, I've been in doing what I'm doing now for over 40 years, and I realized there are a lot of people who could say about me what Paul said about his friends. You didn't show up. You didn't show up at the hospital. You didn't attend my son's wedding. You weren't there in a crisis. You never called when my dad died. 
I mean, there are probably a hundred people who could say that about me, and they can say it about you as well. You didn't show up. You were not there. If she loved me, she wouldn't have forgotten my birthday. He didn't show up. He didn't show up emotionally. Friends fail us, and we fail other people, and you will fail your friends. So what do you do with that? If you want to be bitter and angry the rest of your life, you'll kill yourself and you'll isolate yourself even more from people around you. It's not the way Jesus handled it. How did Paul learn to do this? Well, he learned it from Jesus who hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They they don't know what they're doing. And Paul was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed and his dying words were, may this not be held against them. This is the way a Christian handles hurt. And it may take you day after day after day to say, may it not be held against them. Make a decision and it's followed by a process. But Paul refused to live in unforgiveness. And if you are going to finish well, you must, you must deal with the hurt. And it may not happen immediately, but you will forgive. Failing friends, failing kids, failing wives, failing husbands, can still be our friends. Luke and Eubulus and Pudens and Linus and Claudia, they didn't show up at the trial. And he embraces them and he refuses to hold it against them. And he greets Timothy for them. He's been deserted by his friends, but he's not been deserted by Jesus. And this is the second thing. He says, look at verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, not, may not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, literally, that means poured strength into me. It's like, like the Lord took jumper cables and hooked one end of the cables to Jesus and one end to Paul, and power just went to him. He said, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles that they might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Nobody can do for you what verse 18 says. There is no one on this planet who can rescue you from every evil deed and bring you to the heavenly kingdom. No one but Jesus. He is the only one. And as much as you love your earthly family and as much as you love your earthly friends, they can't do this. Only one friend can do that. Only one person can stand beside you when everyone else fails you. And it's interesting, he says, he saved me from the lion's mouth. I'm not sure if that's Satan or death or Nero, but Paul says, he delivered me. There was, there's, there's something worse than death, and that's denying Christ. That's sin. And Paul says this, he will deliver me, and he didn't deliver him from death, he delivered him from unbelief, he delivered him from cowardice, he delivered him from denying Christ in his last moment. He's going to deliver me. You know what's crazy? Demas walked away from the one person who would never walk away from him. That's not a good exchange. When people don't show up, they don't show up at the funeral, they don't show up at your trial, you stay in the hospital, don't turn on the one person who will show up for you. Have you ever thought about how insane it is how many people are let down by Christians 
and they walk away from the one person who will never desert them. Christians hurt me. I know people, Christians hurt me. I walked away from Jesus as well as walking away from the Christians. And the one person in the universe who will never let you down, you're going to let what those who did something to you drive you away from him who will never leave you? Don't let that happen to you. When your friends fail you, fly to Jesus and trust him to give you an experience of his presence and his power when you most need it. Third thing he says, verse 9, he says, come, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 21, he says, come before winter because the shipping lanes all lock up with ice. They're in the Mediterranean. It's, you can't travel over land. He said, get here as quick as you can. Paul is surrounding himself with friends. He's seeking to do that. And there are some super spiritual Christians who say, I don't need friends. I got Jesus. He's all I need. And that's true. He is all you need, but the way he infuses strength into us is by our friends, by the people that he puts in our lives, who surround our lives. Paul just says, I got Jesus, he's standing beside me, but that's not a reason. The presence of Jesus is not a reason to remove yourself from the presence of other Christians. So we'll start a series all through September just talking about life together and how this this can work out. So his friends have failed him, but Paul still cherishes them, and he longs for these imperfect friendships. The last thing may surprise you. He says, um, when you come, Timothy, bring the books and bring the parchments. We don't know what those were. They could have been his notebooks. could have been um, sayings of Jesus listed in in scrolls. Could have been a portion of the Hebrew Bible, a part of the Old Testament. But here's the point. Paul never stopped growing. He refused to stop growing. Here's a man who's enjoying the sweet presence of Jesus. And in a few days, perhaps, he's going to be standing in the very presence of Jesus. And he still wants to learn. He wants to grow. You go, who needs books? You're going to be standing in front of the one who knows everything. Paul says, as long as I'm here, I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep growing. True story. Many years ago, my wife and I were missionaries in the Dominican Republic. We had a terrible automobile accident. We were airlifted out, brought back four of us on stretchers. My wife's right side was crushed. All of our kids had broken bones. I broke my neck in four, three places. And so we spent almost a year trying to recover from that, much of that time in the hospital. And kids began to come out of the hospital one by one. They allowed me in the hospital to be in the same room with my wife. So we're both in bed and, uh, you know, all you can do is watch TV. And after a while, uh, that just really gets old. You watch Christian television, you go, oh my goodness. Is there anything else on? Um, So a friend came to see us, another pastor, and he said, is there anything I can do for you? And I said, I've always wanted to read Calvin's, John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. Do you have a copy of that? He said, I'll get a copy. And he brought me a copy of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. And I opened it up and read the chapter on prayer. And God spoke to me in ways that um, I, I I don't guess I'll ever forget. In the chapter on prayer, John Calvin cites Psalm 50, 15, 
Call on me in the day of trouble and I will answer you and you will glorify me. And it was like God's voice came through that verse and said, that's for you, Sam. That is for you. Came because I read a book. Those of you who are children, you have the privilege of being in school. Learn to read so that later on you never stop growing. I mean, here's the great apostle Paul and he just wants some books to be brought to him. Some of you uh, could very well help another child learn to read. It's this program called Arise to Read. And at Ross Elementary, we meet with second graders. And there are a hundred words in it they can learn to read. These hundred words, all of the research tells us they're likely to go on and graduate from high school. And if you'd like to help a second grader learn to read without any experience, no experience necessary, you can do this. I'd love to talk with you right after the service. But Paul says, I don't ever want to stop growing. Not until the day I die. So he says, serving Jesus is really hard. It's relationally hard. Sometimes it's physically hard. It's emotionally hard. It can be financially hard. And friends will let you down. They won't be there for you. You don't have to write them off. You can put them in God's hands or you can say, may it not be held against them. And the Lord himself will stand beside you. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? Let's pray. And with your head bowed and eyes closed, let me just talk to you a moment. Anybody here lonely? Anybody here had someone betray you? Hurt you? Desert you? Put them in God's hands. Maybe ask them, and if there's a person, if it's such that you can't trust them again, that's fine. Let the Lord deal with them. But there are some times that we just have to say, they don't know what they're doing. May it not be charged against them. Is there anybody here, and you've done that to someone, you've let them down, you deserted them. What would you need to do to begin to heal that relationship? Anybody here feel like you're drifting away from Christ because you're so in love with this present world? You can come back to him. Pray and say, Lord, would you deepen my love for you, increase my sense of your your presence. Anybody here who has failed, you've fallen. You've hurt other people like Mark. You can come back. Your past does not define you. Your future does. Your future is with Jesus. Anybody here dealing with finances and you're so in love with this present world and you're, you're keeping too much for yourself. God gave you the ability to make money to provide for your family and save and all of that. But, but you could give. You could make it possible for someone else to be served in that way.